T-minus 25 seconds. 20 seconds and counting. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9. Ignition sequence start. 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Tower cleared. Here we got a roll program. And as Apollo 11 does its roll program, this podcast now does its roll program. The tape is rolling. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. My name is Grant Cameron, and you're listening to the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. Thank you for taking time from your life to be here. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. This is Grant Cameron, and I'm here with my co-host, Nicole Sackage in Illinois. I'm in Canada, and... I'm extremely honored to do this interview today. Um, Most people know that I'm a strong supporter of experiencers and we've made a little step forward in terms of experiencers who've always been looked down on in the UFO community. An article has just been written by Ralph Blumenthal who most people will know, uh, wrote the very famous uh, article in the New York Times in December of 2017 about the secret government program for UFOs with Leslie Kane. Uh, Ralph has just um, finished a book on John Mack, who wrote the book um, on abduction, was the almost lost his job at Harvard University over uh, backing experiencers, uh, abductees, whatever you want to call them. We usually like to call them experiencers. And uh, Ralph um, has now come forward with an article on experiencers. And we, it's uh, published in the brief, and you'll see at the end, there's a lot of still hedging. Well, you know, this is anecdotal, this is not proved, all this kind of stuff. But this is a step ahead. This is a step where uh, the experiencers who I say that if you want to understand what's going on with the UFO phenomena, you will not, I guarantee you, you will not figure it out until you talk to the experiencers. You have to talk to the people who are interacting with the intelligence behind the phenomena. And we have one of the people that was interviewed for this article by Ralph Blumenthal. And it's Robin Lassiter uh, from Colorado. And I am so honored. I've, um, it was a little bit hard to find her. She's new on, this, on the uh, circuit. Um, I, I found her, I, as soon as I heard her interview, I said, I've got to interview her. Uh, and she's joining us from uh, Colorado today. Uh, welcome, Robin. Thank you so much, Grant. Thank you, and Nicole yeah. as well. I'm very excited to talk to you today and look yeah. forward. You're, you're part, part of a, a, a team, and you probably already know that there's still a lot of the UFO community who um, sort of doesn't have much to do with experiencers. They're into nuts and bolts. They're into... Uh, let's grab these little aliens and put them on uh, reservations and grab that technology and let's make some money out of this thing or let's shoot them down because they're doing bad stuff or whatever. And um, it's it's a long road, but I, I can sort of assure you that uh, we have made a turn, especially with this article that Ralph has done and people like you stepping out. And I think that'll be part of your story that you've been told to step out. You've been told to come forward and to tell this story. 
And I think we've made a turn. In fact, I would actually say, this may be a little controversial, but I would actually say that when it comes to experiences, you may not know this whole story because you're just new to this. And I've worked on this, uh, that the famous program that you hear about, the government program, uh, um, ATIP and OSAP and all this kind of stuff, they started about 2007. It's now 2000 and almost 2022. Uh, only two years did they have any funding. The rest of the time they had no office, no employees, no money. So does anybody really think that this is the main program? I will guarantee you, I'm gonna write this up. I will guarantee you that the experiencers have an office in the government. They have been briefed to the president of the United States. There are people who know what's going on and the, the experiencers in the end, I've seen the last chapter of the book, the experiencers win, the message will get out. So I really appreciate you coming forward because this is, this is a tough uh, go. It's not like I saw a UFO, that's one thing. But when you come forward and saying, I actually had them in my room, I had dreams of them, that's a different story. So I really appreciate your, your coming forward. And I appreciate Nicole, who's an experiencer as well, from, from joining. I, I tried, told her, I, you gotta be in this, this uh, I think this is a historic interview uh, where we make, take another step forward and get out what I think is the real message behind this, that this is, uh, as I call it, the Super Bowl of all stories, if you understand what's going on. And that's what impressed me about your story. And maybe we can start, because uh, experiencers are lifers. People think, ah, oh, you know, the person was in the wrong place at the wrong time, they got grabbed by these aliens or whatever. And we now know, when I started in 1975, everybody thought that UFOs were random. You saw a UFO, you were in the wrong place at the wrong time, or the right place at the right time. And if you saw a UFO, you were crazy. But if you saw two UFOs, if you claimed that you saw two experiences, even the people in the UFO community wouldn't talk to you because now you're totally nuts. Now we know that it's not random. We now know that we always call it the joke is in the UFO experiencer world is if you've had the experience with the beings, you're a lifer. We can go back. So let's go back to the beginning because all the experiences will go back and say, so when did this start? Uh, and it, you basically, it all goes back to before you had all sorts of pre, uh, you know, crazy ideas in your head about politics and religion and whatever. They take people and start to train them very young. So can we start with you, with your experience, when it sort of opened up, when you sort of realized that you uh, had some experiences that other people didn't have? Yeah, so... You know, my earliest experience was I was, I think, four or five years old. I was very young. And I, uh, there was a being that came to visit. And uh, I had no sort of fear in my body or no indication that this wasn't anything out of the ordinary. Honestly, you know, as we know, memory at that age is, is tricky. Like, I didn't have any context for whether this was um, normal or abnormal, but I have the memory of it. And uh, I also, you know, so I, so the, the, the story is, the memory is that I am standing downstairs in my house and uh, it was very difficult to get up and down the stairs without the rest of the household hearing, but I sort of just found myself down there and in front of me was an insectoid being. Um, I called him Ant-Man. That's just what I, you know, what I always called him. Uh, I have a couple of memories of him throughout my childhood. I had a sense that he was there to check on me, um, but that uh, I, other than that, there wasn't anything remarkable about it. And I, 
didn't know at that time that it wasn't just a part of the way the world was. I had no context again for it. So when I, I, I think it would be many years until I realized that the, the experiences that made up my life were not part of everybody else's experiences. You know, it just, there were the dreams that I had um, that were very intense from a young age, what I called Armageddon dreams, you know, dreams of disaster on the planet. And they seemed to be associated with times where I would um, have a sense of leaving, you know, leaving my house, floating up through the roof, way up into the sky, traveling with, uh, you know, some presence. And um, that those, you know, in my childhood and probably into my teen years, those were primarily the experiences that I had. And I think it wasn't until I got to about that age that I realized that my, my level of sensitivity to the world, my awareness of, um, of other energies and beings wasn't sort of a normal thing and things, you know, there are things to talk about and things not to talk about. And, um, and then also the other part of this is, this is very brand new for me. I kept these experiences very close for fear of, um, you know, the few times I talked about them, nobody knew what I was talking about. It wasn't well received. I didn't, uh, I was not aware of this, you know, decades long um, group of other experiencers and people studying the phenomenon and all of this. I truly was completely unaware of that and all of that, you know, so in the last year, hearing now from other experiencers and finding all the commonalities has been really astonishing for me and has allowed me to uh, settle a little, you know, to not just be on guard quite so much. The experiencer group, the group that I'm a part of, the support group has um, been tremendously helpful in like, okay, it's not just me. I don't have to suffer through this alone. There, This is a this is a phenomenon that exists. And then there are parts that are very unique to me and parts that overlap with other people as well. Um, so after all of that, I'll let you know. <laughs> uh, okay, a couple, a couple of related questions. Uh, for experiencers who may be watching this, who are in the situation you were before you came public, in terms of experiencer group, is that an important element to um, have a support group? To get in there? Because I, I told you I had started an experiencer group called uh, Experiences Anonymous where people could come into a room and I actually banned one guy because he kept asking people, what are you here for? What, what's your story? And I said, you're not allowed to talk about this, leave them alone and have people in there. Is it, did you find it extremely, um, not rewarding, but in, encouraging to have people that supported you? And would you recommend to other people? Because there's probably a lot of people that will watch this who are still in the closet. You know, for me, I... I came to a point in my journey where I felt, um, where I felt compelled to speak about what had happened, you know, compelled to speak about the experiences that are still ongoing. And that was an overwhelming feeling. I, I couldn't, I could no longer ignore it. And so when I reached out for uh, kind of help and support with this and became part of the experiencer group and you know, for a while, I was just kind of on the site reading people's accounts and things like that. But it was actually going to the to the Zoom meeting where there's other people there who 
are talking about things that no one in my life has ever spoken about <laughs> there. You know, I, it was, it was really, um, shocking to me and I'm shocked a lot. Like I'll lead with that though. I'm always like, Oh, my, you know, the world is sort of shocking to me, but I, I, it was, it still is awesome to me when I go into those groups and you don't have to spend the first, you know, 20 or 30 minutes explaining to someone the difference between a dream and an altered state or, um, you know, and say, no, this actually was real, even though I can't, you know, I don't have to have those conversations. We all meet at a certain level of just belief, and then we can share and talk about difficulties and vulnerability. So it, I don't know, uh, I, I don't know what the path forward would have been for me if I had not had that support. It's been like foundational for me, for sure. Beautiful. One, one more weird question, and then I'll give it to Nicole for a question. Um, when I ever, when people always encounter beings, people always ask questions like, uh, did they probe you? Did it hurt? Were you scared? I always ask the question, so I'll ask you the question I always ask people. Did the being have any clothes on? And you've you've kind of had a couple of beings. Did it have any clothes on? And the question I always ask people, how do you know if whether it was a male or a female? Hmm. That's those are interesting questions. I, I never thought about it until you asked. Um, the insectoid being did not, my experience, you know, people have asked me, was this a mantis being, which I didn't know was a common phenomenon until recently. To me, this being seemed to have an insectoid exoskeleton. Okay. So I would say no, in terms of clothing, I would say that other than if this were a I, you know, I could potentially see it being some sort of suit, but it felt yeah. biological to me. Um, and then in terms of the, you know, masculine or feminine, it, there's a, there's just a feeling that comes with the presence. I've had, I've had experiences with entities that feel feminine and feel masculine. And I, it, it's so clear that I don't even question it, you know? That's good because that's exactly what people will tell me. I, I'm not, you're not sure. I just, I, I just know it was. A, and I had the experience with a female. And I remember I was using a tape recorder and I said, I cannot believe I am talking to a female. And I just, it blew me away. I was like, and I didn't know how it was. It was just, it's like the essence that there's this essence that a lot of people will describe that the being, like I'll say, do you have any sex organs? And every, I've never had anybody said yes yet. So then it was like, well, how do you know? But it does have that presence. You can tell whether it's a male or a female. So go ahead, Nicole. Okay, well, this will be a fun one for me because um, in your previous interview that I listened to on aliens and artists, you did mention a being and it gave you a feminine vibe. And I think you said she was wearing a purple cloak but had this like crazy wild gray hair and you knew by her looks that you weren't supposed to take her seriously, which comes up often when you talk to experiencers enough. There's something just off about the being there with, or it encompasses a part of maybe your personality as well. So you feel like this kindred of it's not coming from nowhere. Like this is something I could level with. So if you could tell us a little bit more about that experience or go through it a little bit and tell us about that being, I would love to hear about that. Yeah. Um, so I, I went, uh, let's see, I, I had a period in my life where I began having, um, 
very regular out-of-body experiences and uh, really intense dreams. Um, what I, at that time, because I had no idea, no context again, I had what I called, you know, what were auditory hallucinations. I heard my name being spoken, the, the room would shake, you know, all of these really intense things were happening. And um, as a, over time there were, I had a series of dreams where these spheres would show up, these glowing orbs, and they would show up during Armageddon dreams. So there would be, you know, this one in particular, um, the most memorable one, there was, there were lines of refugees and off in the distance, there was, you know, war and terrible things going on. And, and it was, um, so distressing. And I was looking around going, how can I help here? But the only thing I had to give were my, was my clothing. You know, it's the only possession that I had with me. And I knew that if I gave that up, I would have nothing to trade later for food or water. I just, I just had nothing. And so I was sort of in that space trying to figure out what to do. And out of the sky floats uh, a trio of spears of orbs, purple, green, and blue. And they kept showing up in my dreams. And in, in one dream, uh, I, you know, basically what happened is through this time, they began to teach me things and particularly the purple sphere. And so I would be having these dreams, they would float down and I, this purple sphere would sort of overwhelm me. And then I would kind of pop inside of it. And so then I would be inside of the sphere. There would be a purple hue to the world. Uh, I was out of the Armageddon dream at that point. Now we were walking through a very familiar landscape. Um, for me, it was, you know, the desert Southwest where I grew up, the high desert and walking along and next to me is this feminine, you know, clearly, um, you know, looked female. She had a long purple robe, a high purple collar and wild gray hair, as you said, Nicole. And she, I really had the sense even in that moment that it was that presentation of her was given so that I wouldn't freak out <laughs> so that I wouldn't, I wouldn't be too afraid. So I wouldn't, cause it felt very, um, um, it felt like school was in session. You know, it felt like I, this was a, someone I needed to pay attention to and I was learning from and I felt uh, nervous and overwhelmed. And so I think that she presented that way so that I would take it a little less seriously. Like, <laughs> don't worry so much. You can calm down. This isn't, you know, this isn't so very serious. This is kind of, um, you know, this you're okay here. You're okay here. So, um, she, so we walked along and the, the atmosphere inside of the sphere was a very heightened, loving, um, clear space where all of my normal kind of baggage and fear and discomfort wasn't present. I just, it was very easy to see, uh, the origin even of my emotions and all of these things. And it was lovely to be in that space. It was, it was, um, it was beautiful and heightened. And as we walked along, uh, she, I could see something up ahead and it was, as we got closer, I could see that, and I could feel it as well as see it. So 
um, we got closer to it and it was the spider that was sort of flipping and writhing around. And I felt all of this anger and pain coming off of it. And she said really clearly, you know, she said, this is a metaphor. Like this is not about spiders. Spiders aren't bad. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing, this doesn't have anything to do with spiders, but this is a metaphor for you. So um, with these energies, with this, this pain and this fear and anger, if you move too quickly from that state into this state, this heightened state, the physical body can't survive that transition that quickly. And, um, and then in front of us, the spider died. And I, you know, I understood that we continued along in the sphere, walking in this purple um, landscape and came to the edge. And on the other side was a friend of mine and she was angry and yelling and crying and, and I just wanted her to, I was like, you got to come in here. Cause this is great. This is, you'll see the truth. You know, you'll see this clarity that, um, that that's not really necessary. And one thing that struck me and continues to strike me as really important is that the feminine presence next to me, you know, she explained to me, she said, no, remember, you can't move from that state to this state so quickly, like her physical body won't survive the trip. But there was no um, judgment of her. And there was no pity of her. She wasn't like, oh, poor thing. We have it figured out in here, but she doesn't have it figured out. Someday she'll figure it out. There was none of that. It was just compassion, clarity. Uh, and I, and it was very easy to understand that, that message. So that was my probably most memorable experience with that sphere and that being. And I continue to think about that. You know, I know when I'm in certain states that it's not fair of me to ask my body to like snap out of it. You know, now I allow myself what I need to do in order to, to move to a different state and the piece about the lack of judgment and the lack of pity was really important also. Mm -hmm. So wonderful. Now, I know you have kind of continued to have experiences. Have Has that been visited you in that form again or has it taken a different form or, yeah. Yeah, um, that, that specific form I have not seen again. I have not seen again the the experiences that have continued and are content, you know, it's right. within the last like two weeks, you know, it's, it's, they're present in my life um, at the moment, <laughs> and, uh, you know, they're here with me a lot. So, um, but primarily the, I feel like the beings that I interact with are who I call the four who are one, who are the glowing uh, you know, the resonance and the buzzing and the light. And they're, they typically show up in a unified mass. So as not as, as four separate beings, but four heads, four sets of shoulders, you know, in a kind of glowing mass and they communicate as a collective. That's what my, I've experienced so far. Wow. That's so beautiful. Mine, mine says he can be one, two, or three, but all are him. <laughs> so at, often I feel like two, you know, 
right here and here. But I've also been told those are two angels where some people usually only have one. I have two. So <laughs> I still try to sort it all out. I soak it all in. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm uh, going to ask you maybe a parlay because Grant might like this. It's it's not very often that it does come up, up about big cats or panthers and experiences and I Grant will know that I automatically think to a really special story but also one of Grant's assistants had a a very profound experience with a panther face I believe Sinead and I I also thought of that moment too so I I'll let you share that and then maybe Grant will ask you a few more questions next so thank you yeah thank you um so that experience was, it ended up being a, a sort of a confirmation experience because it was the most hyper real experience that I had ever had in my life. It was, um, it, I had gone through, I, I, you know, during the time with the dreams and the, the shaking of the bed and I, I thought that I, what I was having was sleep paralysis. And I very honestly didn't realize until, <laughs> until pretty recently that that is something that uh, skeptics used to say, oh, it was just sleep paralysis. And that's what these experiences are. I didn't know that. At the time I was just kind of researching, like what is happening to me? Why am I paralyzed? I can't move. And I found this definition for what was happening that of course did not include all of the other things that were going on, but that piece was, you know, was there as well. And um, I suffered and struggled with it for a long time. I, it's terrifying. It was a terrifying time. This was not a uh, loving, joyful, like these were not those kind of experiences for a while. Mm -hmm. And in my struggle with that, I, um, you know, I, for, for several months, I kept having these experiences and they were really distressing. And one night I was, I was in that state of paralysis and terrified. And I would use all of my willpower to kind of pull myself out of it and then just be taken right back in. And this went on for a while, for a long time. And finally I, because I didn't know what else to do. I didn't, I couldn't think of anything else to try. I thought, I wonder what will happen if I surrender to this. And I wonder what will happen if I just let this happen to me, you know? And people ask me, should I do that? And it's like, I don't know if you should do that. <laughs> like it didn't, I don't know if it's always safe to do that. I truly don't. For me, uh, it resulted in a really profoundly important experience in my life. Uh, so I, I surrendered to whatever was trying to happen to me. And the minute that I did, I was overwhelmed with the light and the buzzing. And the buzzing was a fullness of sound and vibration that overwhelmed and affected all of my senses. And I was inside of it. You know, I was not just hearing it or seeing it, but I, it, it contained me. Um, and I realized, you know, what also happened in that moment is a lot of my, a lot of the terror went away. 
So I was still kind of, you know, I was very alert. (laughs) I was watching and listening and experiencing everything very fully with a very amplified awareness, but I wasn't, I sort of had a clarity and the terror went away. And I think it went away mostly because I was so curious because this was a brand new, this was such a new experience. Um, But what I realized was that the sound that I was hearing was the sound of every, uh, it was every sound on earth simultaneously. It was all of the sounds. It was, it was everything and it had a mass and a density and I was inside of it. And I listened and I heard a specific sound that, you know, that I kind of picked out from all, from all of the sounds. And it was uh, the rustling of leaves. And as soon as I identified what it was, I was immediately um, walking through a dark jungle forest and I was, and the leaves were brushing past me and I was inside of a black, um, cat, you know, a jaguar or a panther. And I was aware that that's what was happening, but it almost didn't matter because again, the fullness of the senses was, uh, it was so heightened that I was completely absorbed in and fascinated by it. I could feel everything easily. I could see everything really clearly. I could identify sounds. I knew what they were. Every hair was like an antenna. So I had, that was a sense of this animal. It was one of the senses that she used in the world. And I also could feel um, you know, I've never felt that before, but stepping onto the earth, this connection, this sort of electric connection with the planet. And so it was just this incredibly sensory experience. And I, that continued until I heard the buzzing again. And I realized that anywhere that I wanted to that I could focus on any sound that I wanted and I could have any experience that I wanted. I was aware of that, but then the experience progressed and something else happened. I don't know if you want me to pause there to talk, <laughs> to give the opportunity to talk about panthers. I think Grant might want to jump in. So we'll, we no, we'll finish the panther thing. Oh. I'll finish the panther thing first. And then I've got a, a related question, but it's. Okay. Well, that's the, I mean, what happened after that is I left the experience of the panther and I, um, went sort of what it felt like is that I went through the, bu- the buzzing, the light, and I entered into a space of, um, I, I describe it as velvety blackness. So it was a rich, full, it was not, the, it was not a void. It was, it was full of an intelligence. And I began to dissolve. I, it was as if my body uh, was made up of you know, millions of tiny champagne bubbles and they were getting farther apart from each other. I could feel myself dissolving and that scared me. (laughs) Then the fear came back. It was like, what happens as, as I get farther from myself? Cause I could also feel my, I had a, I had a sense of myself in each of the bubbles. Mm. So I could, I could feel this dissolving happening And as that's happening, um, a feminine presence arrives. I don't see anything. I don't see any form. But I can feel that there's a, 
excuse me. So there's a, um, there's a gate, there's a, there's a geometric shape feeling. So it feels like a triangle or a pyramid coming down to a point. And I can feel it's, I can feel the pull of it. And, and this feminine presence is there and she's kind of beckoning me towards this. And all the little bubbles of me are getting closer to this gateway. And it's like a vacuum. It's suctioning me in and part of me goes through and that freaks me out as well. <laughs> you know, it's like, where, what happened to those little pieces of me? I don't know. Um, but I, it starts to happen faster and faster that I get sucked towards this gateway. And as I get really close to it, I realize, oh, on the other side of this is where we go when we die. Like this is on the other side of this is the realm of, of after life. And that freaks me out. You know, that terrifies me. I get really scared and I, I use all of my willpower and I pull myself away from that suction. And then I kind of slam back into my body and I sit up and I gasp and it's the most, again, the most hyper real experience I've ever had. And I'm astonished and I do the most improbable thing, which is to immediately lay back down, put my head on the pillow and fall instantly asleep. <laughs> and that's not me in any case. I don't, I don't do that on a normal day, but after something like that, it was a very, you know, unlikely thing for me to do. So I fall instantly asleep and I fall directly into a dream or again, a very lucid, vivid experience where I'm standing uh, in the valley near where I grew up. I know exactly where I am. It's winter, there's snow. Across the, the meadow from me is a, is a ridge line with trees and out of the horizon line, rising, you know, massively up into the sky, there are the four beings. And that's the first time that I had the experience of them in that form. And they said, we're here for you when you're ready. And that, so that's the totality of that experience. Mm -hmm. And it changed my life because it could not be denied as anything, you know, it, it, it was only real. This is one of the two parts that really interests me about your story, because um, I think it's so extremely important. You're talking about the sleep paralysis. And I've written a book called Contact Modalities. And I say in all contact modalities, when you go into the field and meet, you know, angels and have these mystical experiences and samadhi experiences or whatever there's always trauma and mm -hmm. so you have the thing with the sleep paralysis and i always sort of wondered why do why do beings wake somebody up in the middle of the night and go robin robin wake up wake up and then you wake up and go oh my god there's an alien in my room and it just it's got to be the most terrifying thing mm -hmm. and i think what what a part of it is is if you if you studied a lot of different modalities for example psychedelics that's the absolute number one rule the rule is there's only surrender is the only rule believe me surrender is the only rule that when you surrender you go through and when we have these trauma experiences i always ask who's in trauma is it your is it your spirit or is it your ego because mm -hmm. when you're starting to dissolve and your body is starting to dissolve and disassemble as it happens in uh, these experiences you're fighting it's like the ego says no no I'm not going no no and you start to fight and that's when you go through like the hell experience where you 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 pull away and it's that that surrender thing where John Hopkins will say where they work with cancer patients and PTSD patients and stuff they'll say the number one rule is trust let go and be open just mm -hmm. let it happen and be open so I think this is what I think is very important in your experience is 
because people will say, oh, you know, it's abduction and they think about babies and and they're grabbing people against their will and stuff. And when you hear your experience, it's this whole thing. No, this is much more complicated. This is much more spiritual than what people think it is. This may not even be aliens. This may be something totally different. And what you're describing is what other people will describe, for example, in near-death experiences. They've done these studies that show that the people who have the bad near-death experiences are people who can't let go. They're trying mm-hmm. to control the situation and they're in this trauma. And then you mentioned this thing about when, when you... Um, when you wake up, when you come there and you say you did the most improbable thing you can possibly think of, there's got to be hundreds of people who have told that story where they wake you up, they scare the living daylights out of you. And then they say, OK, put your head on the pillow and go to sleep. And the person says, and I say, what do you do? Well, I pulled the covers over my head and I instantly went to sleep. And that's like, no, if you've got a, a being in your room that scares the living daylights, that's the last thing you're going to do. But, and it, so they can control the situation. And it's almost like that. That's why I think your story is so important. And this is the question I want to ask you is. This idea, is this, because people will think this is like physical, they're grabbing your body, they're taking you and whatever. And the more you listen to this, the more it sounds like out-of-body experiences. And you mentioned out-of-body experiences. 80% of all experiences say they have out-of-body experiences. And so you start to wonder, is this really physical or is this something where they're changing your vibration, where you, you start to vibrate and you're, you, they take you into a, a matrix reality or some sort of reality and they teach you and this sort of stuff. So the question I wanted to ask you is this, this idea, maybe we can get a little more into the, the idea of surrender because you, you actually brought up the word yourself. And this idea, in all your experiences, how many, I think you said at one point, you think there was only one that seemed to be like it was actually, may have been a physical experience. So talk about this, is it a physical experience? Is it not a body experience? Uh, because, you know, you hear the stories that nobody's ever seen anybody being abducted. And a lot of people say oh. this doesn't make any sense. And, and I'll help on, I'll help out a little bit too. I think um, the blue sphere, that that experience that you talked about before, Robin, where I think it cracked me up because I think you just flat out said, and some weird shit happened. <laughs> so <laughs> tell us about the weird shit. <laughs> Um, you know, I think that I'm trying to, I'm trying to parse out a physical experience versus an out-of-body experience. And I will talk about the blue sphere, which, uh, yeah, that was just the weird, that was the weird one. Um, I think that it's really, for me, it's very, it's taken a, a long time and a lot of discernment to understand what is happening. I, I primarily do have out-of-body experiences and I, that's what I feel and I notice now. Um, but my physical body is also involved because it is uh, paralyzed. And so the body reacts to that and it's, and it's scary. And I, I, don't, I don't 100% fully let them off the hook for that, even though this ultimately has been a positive experience in my life. I'm not, uh, I'm not really on board with the lack of consent. I'm not really on board with, um, with having to put the body through trauma. You know, I've had trauma from other sources as well, and I wouldn't wish any of it on anybody. You know, it's, I, I understand, I, I, I have made meaning of it. Like I've put it into context for myself, but I'm so cautious to not say, because this is my experience, this is someone else's, you know, I know of uh, experiencers who 
are still experiencing trauma. And I want to honor that and recognize that because I know that that's, that's really, really difficult. And as I was going through it, it was very difficult. It messed with my life. I had to, you know, I, I thought I was crazy for a long time. I, I, and then you still have to like get up and go to work and you know, like have a normal life. So um, I do want to point that out, but I, you know, the blue, and, and I, I guess I'll say the other, I, I have had one experience where it did feel different. You know, there's always that sense of sort of lifting that sense of kind of levitation that happened as, as I leave my body. And I'm very familiar now with what that feels like. It happens. I don't even know how many times at this point, dozens, I would say. Um, but I've, you know, the other of the most hyper real experiences that I've had in my life included, uh, you know, that sensation of being lifted, but then looking down my body, I was laying in bed, I was underneath the covers and kind of looking down my body and seeing the covers kind of tented up as if I was physically floating and I was alone in the room. So I don't know. I don't know if that happened or not, but that's what I experienced. So uh, that's a mystery to me. <laughs> I don't fully understand that. Um, the blue sphere was, you know, as I was working through this and kind of putting it together in my mind and starting to even speak about these things to myself, you know, instead of just going through the experience and trying to get on with life, I, um, the quality of the blue sphere was what I called, you know, aliens and UFOs. These other experiences, I, they felt, I don't know that I would have, you know, definitely Ant-Man felt, uh, you know, felt alien, um, but the orbs and the, the beings that are made of light didn't, I don't know that I would have used that word to describe them, but this, the blue sphere felt that way to me. It felt like they, it felt like aliens. <laughs> like it was, I saw craft all the time. Um, I, when the blue sphere would come, I would have, I would like wake up in the dream. So I would find myself on the ground somewhere. And it ended up being a place that I would know in the future. So, which was interesting. I had never been there, but I ended up living right where I would wake up, which was interesting. And I, so I'd wake up on the ground, sort of stand up and look around and it would be night, the sky full of stars. And, look, and then I would look at the stars and I would start to notice that they begin to move and all of them would then begin to move. And it would be like a swarm and they would, and I, the feeling in my body was the biggest joy, jumping up and down, yelling, interacting with them. You know, I could, I could move my hand, they would follow my movements and they would like spiral down out of the sky and come to me. And I, uh, I still sometimes have those dreams. And every time I do, it's the same, it's not the same dream, but it's the same feeling. It's like, oh, there they are, you know, and I want to tell everybody and I want to show everybody. And they're, you know, it's so clear. And I, I, it's the, it's, it's just this big, massive joy when that happens. Um, and also, I don't know, can I pause a moment and just see, sure. do you guys want me to continue with this? Or yeah. do you want to well, let, let me do a related question to this. Um, I didn't mean to say that people aren't having the trauma or this sort of thing. 
What it gets into is this idea that I think it's a little more complex than people think, and this surrender is a, an important part. One of the stats, I don't know if you've seen all this, the big survey, you probably weren't part of the big survey that was done of, I think, 4,000 experiencers where they had these patterns. And one of the really weird patterns was that all experiencers that answered the question, 37% of them had near-death experiences. And so they were, had, wanted this question of, why would someone, why would they have both be a, a, a UFO experiencer and a uh, have a near-death experience? And a lot of them had two near-death experiences. So, and then I said, well, maybe it's not a random experience. And so that would be the question I want to, if you get in, I don't know if you follow reincarnation, do you think this is a random event that's happening to you? Or do you think that you made an agreement that you're part of, that this is part of, of you coming in here to do a mission? Or, or I'd say to people, or do you think you're on a mission? And that's where it comes to this thing where you start seeing these these patterns where it's not like you uh, you wish anybody have a near-death experience, but when so many people have near-death experiences, you start to say, well, maybe this is happening for a reason and that people are learning stuff from this. And that when you when you go along with it, and you even mentioned that when you surrender, then it's sort of like, what? It's over. And we know this in psychedelics for sure. The minute you surrender, you're in you're in the Nirvana state. You can't until you do, you're in this hell state that you're trying to fight, you're trying to get out of it. And so do you let's go to this question about a mission, uh, reincarnation, uh, agreement. Are you are you doing something? Are you um, helping them? Are you part of are they part of you? Are you part of them? Are you like a lot of people experience will say, that's my family up there. This is not my family. That's my family up there. This relationships. Can you go to maybe touch on a few of those things? Absolutely. Yeah, I you know, my. Uh, I love that you're bringing up the point again of surrender because, you know, my, the sort of uh, disclaimer aside to sort of honor people who are still in the trauma, but my life experience has been my biggest teaching, my biggest lesson in life through my addiction, through um, terrible relationships, through just the fear of being on the planet, my sensitivity to the world what I learned was that if I turned toward it, if I stopped trying to push it away, whatever it was, like the discomfort of just having to, I don't, you know, whatever, just the sort of normal day-to-day -day discomfort, not even to mention, you know, these other really heightened experiences. But if I stopped trying to resist that, if I turned towards the reality of what was happening, that it instantly transforms. And my biggest lesson around that was, uh, spending a really long time of my life pushing away all my pain and not allowing myself to feel that. And when I surrendered to that, it broke me open. It blasted my heart open. I, I experienced the world through a lens of compassion that I never had until then. And so that surrender, that turning towards that engaging with the difficult thing is my foundational you know, teaching. And so I understand what you're saying. I really do. It's the, you know, the body, the nervous system, um, which I, which to me is like synonymous with the ego. I call my, my ego, my nervous system, because it just wants to be safe. You know, like I just need to make sure my nervous system is safe. Um, but As true, everybody, everybody has the same thing. The right, ego right. Running the show. It's trying to survive and you can't, you can't deny that the ego is trying to survive. It's, it's me. Right. It's like... Yes. Yes. And the, and, and surrendering to those experiences felt like, um, 
having to face death. It really did that letting go that you're talking about the near, you know, in near death experiences and things. It's like, what happens if you really allow this thing to obliterate you? Are you still, do you survive it? And, and the, so far, like all these experiences (laughs) I have, like I did, I was obliterated and I wasn't, and it didn't kill me. I was annihilated and I wasn't destroyed. So I'm, so I learned through that. I'm learning continuously through that to trust life more and more and trust these things Um, in terms of mission and pre-incarnational agreements. I, the meaning making that I've done around this is that I, I mean, I I've been mission. I've had a sense of mission since I was little and people around me were like, what is like, just (laughs) take it down a notch. You don't need to save the world. You're 11 or whatever. That's my whole life. I've, I've had a, a, a massive sense of mission and not sure exactly where to put it. And, um, and now having, having gone through the experience of the last year of my life, I have, you know, through a hypnotic regression, I was told exactly what my mission is. And it's taken me a while to integrate that and to allow that. But when I did, it just made everything a lot easier. It's like, you know, I could pick any, I could, there's a lot of things to do on this planet. There's a lot of directions to go, a lot of things to dedicate your life to or numb from or whatever. There's a lot of ways to be. And I finally have found a way to be that feels like service, that feels like I'm fulfilling my mission. Um, I do not have it figured out. I don't know the long game. I don't know how this ends, you know, but I'm trying in the moment to show up uh, in a way that feels like my mission. And the pre-incarnational agreement, again, in the hypnotic regression, as it, that is exactly what it was. It was like, I'm choosing to come for this purpose, I forgot what it was like here. Like they, you know, <laughs> you don't really get, you don't get the the immersive experience when you're just picking and, and choosing these life missions. But so it's harder than I uh, apparently thought it would be. But um, I do think that I have, I personally think that I have agreements with, with these beings. And I think I have a sense now of the ones that I've interacted with that feel like guides for me, that feel like I'm part of a team. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What, uh, just one more question. I'll give it to you, Nicole. Uh, working off that, again, you may be talking to a lot of people who will hear this who are new experiencers, who don't know where to go, what to do. You mentioned the word regression. Mm-hmm. Were you better off after the regression than you were before? Because people will say, I really don't know if I want to do that. Do you think that that aided you? Because a lot of people have that fear about actually opening the door and actually finding out what's going on. Uh, for so, the first regression that I have that I had was a between life soul regression. So I was not regressed back to a um, to the event with Ant Man, for instance. I later did regressions around that. This was a, like a Michael Newton, like between lives, yeah, like between exactly, lives. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, wow. Life That's one lives. of my big, big, I'm, I'm one of his biggest fans. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, the woman who worked with him for many years uh, was who I got the regression from. Wow. So, yeah. So it was, 
it was a phenomenally, I mean, it set me on this path because it answered a lot of questions. It was so unexpected. I did not, (laughs) I did not, I did not anticipate that I went, I did not think that that was what was going to happen going into it. And so it was very jarring. Um, I think at, at other times in my life, I wouldn't have been able to integrate it and handle it. So for me, they've been profoundly helpful, but even now, and I work with, you know, Stuart, um, who I trust completely and fully. And even during regressions with him, my body is still afraid. Like these are not easy things to do, or maybe I'm just scared all the time, which is, you know, true for me as well. But for me, they were profoundly helpful. Um, but there, I think I needed to be really stable going into them. Like the years when my life was really out of control would not have been the time to go (laughs) have a regression. I needed some stability. I needed to be okay. I needed to have enough of a framework and support and all of that so that I could then integrate, which, you know, you were mentioning, uh, psychedelic experiences, something that I don't, that I think is relatively new is the integration portion. Yeah, like yeah. you don't just blast yeah. people open yeah. and yeah. then let them go on their way. You know, that it's such an important part. Yeah. It's almost like experience your meetings are like integration as well. I mean, it's yes. one thing to have this really bizarre thing. It's another thing to sit there and try to figure out and have people who can guide you and help you figure out what the heck this might've been about, even though you may never really know the answer. Yeah. So exactly. I'm glad you put that out because a lot of people are struggling. They're trying to figure it out. And um, I'm always glad to hear when people have the regressions where I've asked some people like Barbara Lamb, who's done 6,000 regressions. I said, Barbara, have you ever had anybody who wasn't better off? And she said, no, they're all better off when you, when you go through it. So, and again, it's this ego doesn't want to go there. We don't want to do this. We don't want to go through trauma or whatever. And then when you sort of let go, then it's like, oh, it wasn't so bad. I mean, it's, but the integration you're telling, that's a, that's an important part that people, and that's what we're trying to do is help people who have had the experiences integrate what's actually going on. Yeah. So Nicole, go ahead. Well, um, I was just going to tie in maybe a few kindred things or maybe even some synchronicities that have been going on with what Grant and I have been digging into and what I gleaned from um, the messages that you've been saying. But one thing I will say, we just did this massive orb panel we brought on a bunch of people who have experienced orbs and kind of got their take on whether they're good or bad or what different colors inspire them or their emotions that kind of correlate and um i i just found it really beautiful that you said while you were in in the sphere and you were kind of in these teaching sessions and lessons and learning, like you did feel love and understanding and you brought that up. And then your blue sphere, you you said there was elation and ecstasy. And from some of our other experiences or experiencers sharing, they've brought up the blue meaning like happiness. They've felt happiness and red orbs were very comforting and violet. Um, It was so, it was a beautiful description. They said violet was like the ecstasy of love. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) And one one thing to add to that, and then you can continue. Michael Newton, um, 
Robin Hood, the Michael Newton. In the Michael Newton world, there's various colors of spirits in the life between life and it goes from white up to violet. And when Michael Newton heard he had somebody, look at yourself, what color are you? Violet, he'd say, can I talk to your soul guide? Because that's mm -hmm. the highest level of, and so I was encouraged when you said you had a, a sort of a, a purple violet uh, orb that's in the Michael Newton world, that's pretty high level stuff. <laughs> it's fun finding the similarities, even though everybody's story is so unique, like a snowflake. So, <laughs> and um, actually I was wanting you to share some of your touchstones with nature that you've brought up. I think that you've been able to find comfort and acceptance and you've always had like a base home with nature. And I think that's something that we all kind of recognize at different times. It's like the extreme empathy or the, you feel at one with everything in the universe and nature seems to come up and at play with that. Like we talked to so many people who have started animal shelters or, you know, plant forests and things like that. It's just, it's always interesting. So I would love you to talk on that for a while. That's one of my very favorite pieces, especially right now, because I, you know, over this last year, another unexpected uh, piece has been, I've always felt, I've always felt a little bit like I was not really here and that I was kind of like, how long do I have to be here? <laughs> like, when is this, when are, when are we done with this? Cause this is really hard and I don't really understand how it works and I don't really fit in and I don't know how to do it here. So um, much of my life, I, I felt like I was not fully embodied to be honest. And I didn't really want to be because it felt very unsafe. And over this last year of integrating this story that I have been given, which is the story of my life, um, I just fell in love with the planet. I fell in love, like not that nature hasn't always been important to me, but something new is happening. And the, the depth of the love that I have for not only the planet herself, but humanity, as a species, like who we are in our, in our core form, I am uh, in rapturous love with at the moment. I, I just am, <laughs> am kind of head over heels. And so what's interesting about that is there's a new, I have a new understanding and awareness of the particular frequency and, and the sacred resonance of the planet herself and how it's very slow you know it's very loving it's it's so supportive like hearing you say that people are planting forests and and putting, doing animal sanctuaries like that makes perfect sense to me because um you know I think about that moment when I experienced being inside of that of the cat stepping onto the earth and feeling that connection. And uh, I can, and I'm starting to sense that I'm starting to see what it, you know, how truly and deeply connected we are to the planet. And that if, as I, as the story of myself that I have accepted is that I came here 
because of the planet and because of humanity. And if it's not a love story, then what's the point of it? Like it is a love story. I'm here because um, the, you know, and nature is not necessarily safe either. You know, I mean, there's, it's not only rainbows and butterflies. There are those, but there's also the, you know, the natural processes of the planet that include death and suffering and decay and all of those things. But there's that there's a safety in those rhythms and cycles that we have forgotten and become disconnected from. And, you know, we're moving into fall here in the Northern hemisphere and there is a decline that happens. And then winter is still and dark and we are so afraid of those things, you know, but falling into the natural rhythms of the planet and trusting that, trusting the life and the frequency that exists here deeply and how much it, it loves us and how much it wants, you know, how supportive it is of our bodies and, and our nervous systems. Like that's where I'm safe is when I'm in nature with the planet. Um, so I think I, answer, I hope I answered your question. I'm kind of like goo goo eye in love right now. So <laughs> that's how let I talk me, about it. Let me ask a related question. And, and I may point out, I always point out to people, there are 330 billion cells die in your body every day. And they were replaced, 200 different cells are replaced by 330 billion cells. That's part of the process. We're just worried when it's our ego cell that's going to die. We are part of this process. And you mentioned this thing, and I don't know if I've ever figured it out, and you've had a lot of it. So let me ask your thing on the premonition dreams. I've got a lot of people, I've, and 39% and of all experiencers say when they were on board the ship, they were shown the screen. And you don't have to explain what the screen is. Did they show you the screen? Yeah, I saw the screen. What did they show you? And you're talking about these, uh, you know, environmental devastation, uh, this kind of stuff, end of the world stuff. Have you come to grips and an understanding? Are they warning us of future devastation? Are they just saying, well, if you don't turn around, this is what's going to happen? Are they just making you more um, in tune with nature? What's your interpretation after all these dreams? And and or and add to this, people will say, I think you mentioned the year uh, 2019. I think Nicole and I just interviewed a girl who was same thing. They were saying, "Hurry up, 2019, hurry up, it's time, hurry up." And or people, they, I'm going to do something, and they say, "What am I supposed to do? When the time is right, you'll know." Have you? I want to hear your thoughts on. You probably got a lot of this kind of stuff. What do you think they are showing us this stuff for? What's this all about? Your mention of the sense of urgency around it, as you're asking me that question, that's the first thing that comes to mind is that I was ever the, the feeling with all of those dreams and the sense of mission and the things that I was shown during the regression, the importance of not only the planet, but as of humanity itself, as of our species always came with that sense of urgency. So I, I mean, clearly <laughs> there are, um, there are, we are at a precipice. We all, I think every, everyone feels that. And so I don't know if they're saying, they have never said directly, hey, we need to figure this out right away. You need to, you know, deal with the environmental crises, you need to do this, this, and this, because a clock is running out. They've never said that directly. They just have 
instilled in me a sense of urgency. And 20, you know, before December of 2019, I, there had been a period of uh, two years or so, maybe two and a half years, where I had nothing. I had no dreams, not even really regular dreams. And I, my dream life is very active. I had no dreams. I had no out-of-body experiences. I kind of thought, oh, well, I guess it's <laughs> done, you know? <laughs> and then December 2019, it was like, here we are. And then the presence, the pressure, the urgency, the, you know, was, um, I couldn't get away from it and I couldn't stop it. And that's what, you know, drove me into the next uh, steps on my journey, which was the regression and ultimately, you know, writing the book, which they told me to do, which I thought that's a weird thing for them to tell me to do. But for my personal evolution, it was, it was completely necessary. And so all the things that they've had me do since December, 2019 has, have resulted in this moment where I am able to speak about these things, which for so long, I couldn't even move them through my throat. I literally couldn't speak them. The first time I spoke them, my voice wouldn't work and it took, you know, an hour and a half for me to talk around it and not even say what actually happened. So. I'm glad you, you mentioned the, the, the book, maybe mention your book and I'll, I'll give you a little funny story. You probably haven't heard all the stories, but almost everybody gets told to write a book and Sherry Wilde is probably the best one. If you ever read her, it was called, she wrote a book called the forgotten promise where she had a really traumatic time, really bad. She had no interest in this. And they reminded her, Sherry, have you forgotten the promise that you made? Mm -hmm. And they brought her back this thing. You promised to do this. And she said, she told the story where she opens her, she's a real estate agent in, in Wisconsin. She opens her word, she opens her computer and the word program is open. She goes, what's that thing open? That's never open. And she looks and it's like page three and a half. And then she starts reading it and she goes, Oh, no, we're not going there. No way. And they started the book and they forced her to write the book. Her daughters uh, took an, an injunction to stop her from writing for publishing the book. And then she was driving down the street after she finished the book. She's driving down the street and suddenly there's this 3D holographic screen. And she's going, what are you doing? I'm driving. Can't you see I'm driving? What are you doing? And they said, this is the first scene to your movie. And so mm -hmm. uh, this is uh, pretty common. So what's the name of your book? And is, is it out or? It's not out. It's it is. Uh... I just wrote it because they told me to. I don't even, I haven't even come to the point of knowing what to do with it. I've shared it with, I shared it with my family, which was really important to me. And they understood me in a new way because of it. They, they knew who I was in a way that they never had. So um, I think, you know, I, I, I had titled it, uh, let's see, I can't even, it's so funny. <laughs> so I had titled it um, Arrive. And a piece of my artwork is on the cover, but it's changing. And so I think I'm going to call it Earth, a love story, because that's what it's turned into. So um, well, we, we can help you. I have a I have a publishing company called It's All Connected. It's <laughs> all connected. And what we do is when I hear people have stories like this, I say, have you written this down? You should write this down for your kids, your grandkids or whatever, because eventually everybody's going to think, oh, that Robin, she was the luckiest. She was right there when it happened and they'll forget all the trauma and all this kind of stuff. So we can sort of help you because everybody's doing self-publishing now. It's not that hard. We can help you and show you what you want to do when you finally uh, do it. So I'll let the code to Nicole. I only have maybe two quick questions I want to ask. I don't want to keep you all night, but I'm absolutely fascinated with your story. You're better than I actually thought you were going to be, but I've got uh, two more important questions, but I'll, I'll go to Nicole now. 
Um, this this one might be a little uncomfortable. So if you do want to pass, um, I'll understand. It does kind of tie in with what you said was weird shit. But I also thought um, this one hit me kind of too hard for me not to share a little bit of my story with you. But um, maybe as a lead off, <laughs> I totally admired the part where you said you're, you're going to try every door. And <laughs> it made me think in my life, like my kind of running quote was, well, I guess I'm going to try all the wrong ways before I go with the right way. It's like, I might even know what the right way is, but I'm not going to do that one yet. <laughs> but another kind of synchronistic experience that hit me with what you shared was, and sorry, Green, I actually haven't shared this one with you before, but one other person and mine was a dream that felt so vividly real. And it was after I had had my cancer surgery treatments and I was in recovery and I was getting checkups about every three, four months. And then they got moved to like six and eight months and things like that. But I had such this, this powerful dream where I was with my being who I'd never really see. I just know they're there. Or he's there. It's there. And I knew it was like you said, you, you would wake up in a dream to find yourself in a dream, kind of that, but you knew it wasn't like a normal, regular dream. Well, when I had woken up, they had taken me to my bathroom from my childhood home which is a very, you know, private space. It was like when I was a teenage girl, you know, and I was like, holy crap, I'm in, you know, my old bathroom. And then all of a sudden I had this thing come up out of my side and scared the shit out of me. Like it was just so vivid. It snapped me awake. Like you said, you've woken up so many times to, <gasps> and well, I had a mark on my side. And of course, the first thing I did, I was like freaked out. There was something going on with my body. Like I just knew and I went and I actually had like a cancerous cells detected there on my body. And so they removed, they did a biopsy and removed a portion from that area of my body as well. And it was so precog and such a warning that I, I just connected to your story about the port and mm -hmm. what that meant to you. So if you could share a little bit of that, I would love it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that about your story as well. Um, this is a part of my story that I haven't fully come to terms with yet. So I may stumble through it. I, I don't have, you will hear me work it out real time because I don't have, right. <laughs> I, have no. I have not gone down this road before. Um, so I did, you know, with the, with the blue sphere, this experience, it, it was a very, you know, it was, a, it felt like a very, very lucid dream state or perhaps even out of body because I was sort of a disembodied consciousness mm -hmm. and I was, looking over the shoulder of two, it's the only time that I've ever had uh, what I would call something that looked like a typical gray, 
that's never, that's the only time in my life that I've had that experience, but they were, I was looking over there kind of between them over their shoulders and my body was laid out on a metal slab table and there was a big light, bright light above and they were um, fiddling with something on my neck. And I was kind of peering over curious and they noticed me watching Mm -hmm. and then they like shifted and they had lab coats on and they honestly, it became, they were doing like a little comedy routine. And I've heard other people say like, they don't have senses of humor. I have no idea. This was my experience, but they, they said, they like noticed me watching and very much for my, um, benefit said no no remember on these models it's righty tighty lefty loosey and then they turned this port on my neck and my consciousness went back into my body through that port and um I didn't have any like I wasn't afraid during any of that it wasn't uh I don't know it wasn't that strange until I had another experience where they took me inside of a mountain uh, to a, a bright blue light to a ship. And in that experience, it was, I was in the future and I was in a wheelchair and I had, and I was dying of cancer, but I was okay. I was like, this is fine. I'm okay with this. Um, and then in my life now I have, you know, at that spot, um, I have cancer cells that I'm dealing with and I'm not, um, I haven't figured, I haven't worked that out yet. That's, that is not something I've come to terms with or resolved. It still exists. I'm working on it, but uh, there's all those pieces together. And I don't have, I have not meaning made of those as I, as I have in the other realms. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you so much. Like that is something I still am sorting through this as well. It was like, childhood experiences so similar to yours as well and trying to sort that out and then asking people but knowing you're not getting a satisfactory answer and you know the the cancer stuff is just so embedded for so long I didn't correlate my UFO stuff Mm -hmm. and other paranormal things like my out-of-body experience and yet I knew there were so many similarities. I just wasn't even ready to seek other people out yet. And that that's something we touched on earlier is you, you find those kindred people where not everything is exactly the same, but there's enough that you find your soul family. And I really connected with you on that. And it is a mystery. I mean, I don't know at that point, I was so hyper with my health and anything going on that I've wondered, you know, I wondered, was that a warning? Was, did they know I would understand that? Well, why wouldn't they just come out and say, <laughs> you know, that's also that whole thing where I know Grant, I say this all the time. We see something funny in the sky and then 20 years re- later, we realize we've been on this whole inner journey <laughs> and it had nothing to do with the sky. It was all inside and it's our higher self. It's aliens, it's light beings, it's energy, it's consciousness. And that part of your story, 
like how you said the humor, like a lot of people don't understand there is that humor involved in this because it's part of your consciousness and your personality as well. But that righty tighty lefty Lucy part, and then but being sucked back into your body, like that's not an experience I've heard described often with the table abduction, you know, mm-hmm. like you seeing yourself on the table, it's always, oh, I'm in the table, you know, that one. So that was just beautiful. And I hope people pay attention to that part when they hear this and they'll go, aha, you know, it's more than your body. It is your mind, soul, spirit, and your body. So, so wonderful. Thank you so much. I know it's difficult. <laughs> Uh, I can just add, and then I've got I've got an important question. I want to make sure I get in. When you mentioned that, um, Robin brought up that she's an artist. We, you know, that we have done a bunch of interviews with artists, and uh, there's uh, about to be. Um, um, I won't say there's there's about to be a project done on on musicians. I wrote a book on musicians and UFOs, uh, which was given to me a message from the from what are called the Guardians. So give me a message from Chris Bledsoe, the messages in the music. So you have this thing and what it basically comes down to, as I understand it, is why don't they tell you? Because that's left brain. They All the implants are on the, on the left side of the body, which is the right female brain. They're dealing with the right brain and the right brain is always symbols. It's always dealing uh, this idea. So they're, they're dealing with symbols. And I think you brought this up before. Uh, Robin, this idea that a lot of this stuff, like this, this spider and stuff like this, a lot of this stuff is symbolic. They don't really come out and tell you. It's you're supposed to sort of figure this thing out. But um, the question I wanted to ask you, um, and this goes back to this idea about sort of the bottom line of this thing. If you get into the ayahuasca experience, if you talk to, if you see the interview that was done with Sting, the musician who was down there uh, with his ayahuasca experience, where uh, you know you have the experience and you realize everything is alive, conscious and connected. And uh, then he says, I see the little plant coming out of the out of the crack and oh, that's my brother. So the question you talked about this four is one. Um, I think 54% of all experiencers uh, state the number one message they're given is oneness and love. Have you come up across those two items in your experiences? I'm gonna have to think about that for a second in terms of the, like that specific message when, um, when you mentioned the thing about the four becoming one as soon as i saw that i go like that's almost like symbolic like we're four mm-hmm. but we're one and it's like uh, because we always want to separate there's us and them and mm-hmm. and then i think the bottom line is it's all one guy it's all one system and that's what the ecology that's what the nature thing is about whatever you do to nature you do to yourself whatever you do to the universe you do to yourself that it, it's this connected thing that a lot of experiencers um do but you may you may want to bring up in a future interview that's something that I think is the number one message is, is oneness and love that people, and you would think like, why would they talk to people about oneness and love? Why aren't you talking about uh, who's in charge? Where's the government? Uh, you know, all this kind of stuff. And they're not interested in any of the kind of stuff that you think they'd be interested in. They're talking about oneness and love all the time. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I, what I would say is that my, you know, the experiences to me, the four who are one, the way that that specifically comes across is that they are, they are some type of collective, um, but I will say that there, that the, the end result of this experience for me as it stands today is, an, is a tremendous capacity for compassion. 
that has worked its way through me, worked its way through my life. I am not, uh, I had a, I had a messy hard life and I did things that I'm not proud of. And I still have wounds and trauma that my, um, fight or flight response comes up and I react from. And what has happened over time is that this massive sense of compassion has, has arrived and I'm able to hold myself in compassion and others in compassion and realize that ultimately that is the rest of it means a lot less to me these days. You know, the, the guilt and the shame, the blame, the fear, the fighting, the I'm right and you're wrong, all of that, even as it goes on, even as I'm watching it, instead of those things, I'm seeing pain, wounding, fear, I'm seeing an illusion and the, and underneath that illusion is <laughs> what you just said, you know, oneness and love, compassion, those things. Um, I, I'm losing my ability to, to push this mission aside. And right now what that looks like for me is holding everything in compassion, even the uncomfortable, unsavory, difficult parts of humanity get a space here, which is a relief to be honest, you know, it's a relief to be able to see, to, to rest in that love and have faith in it. Do you see that in the beings as well? Because you, you know, there's this thing about there's uh, the bad beings and the good beings and what's your experience with them? Did they show the same empathy and compassion towards you and what's happened to you and to the world? Uh, that's a mixed bag. So I've had moments with them, uh, when I, the, the day that I got sober and which I feel they facilitated my hitting rock bottom, <laughs> um, that was a tremendous amount of compassion. They did that. They did that from love and I felt the love and I felt the, the deep concern and care as I fell. Um, I've had other moments and experiences where they're like, yeah, yeah, we know you're freaking out. We're not really interested in that. We have work to do, like, let's just get to it, you know, and they are not very, uh, empathetic about how I'm feeling. So I've, I've had both, but when I feel into them, when I've been around them and feel into them, I do feel a quality of love, but it honestly, it's a, it's a different, it feels like a different frequency exactly than what I experience here on the planet. So it's the best. Okay. I, yeah. I only got one more question, but I'll let Nicole ask what she wants to ask. Cause we don't want to keep you here all night. Now you can wrap it up with your last question. I checked off all my check boxes. I just flipped back through my three pages of notes that I gathered, but I will say, um, I do kind of have an ongoing series of talking with musicians and artists. So I would like to invite you back to maybe share some of your artwork and, I, am I wrong? Are you also a poet? Um, I no, I am not. I write really bad poetry sometimes to myself. I but. love bad poetry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but no, I would love for you to share anything that you've created, whether it's you know excerpts from your book or, like you said, the cover art. Just, I'd love to. It's wonderful music that you love. <laughs> I, I could probably, I could probably tell you like probably four out of your 10 favorite songs are from another experiencer, like somebody <laughs> who's witnessed the phenomenon. So 
that's a okay. fun game we play too so but yeah I would love, I'd to. love to have you back so Grant, okay. you can wrap us up I'll, I'll just make a comment on that because um um Robin hasn't been in the field. Um, if you if you're familiar with the implant, I don't know if you have you found the implant thing or you've been a part of that. But uh, Roger Lear, who was the guy who did the 17 alien implant removals of different mm -hmm. people, was asked. Um, first, first of all, in his book, he he said they had 250 implants. They were all on the left side of the body, which means whatever they're doing with the implants, they're not interested in your rational, analytical male left brain. They're interested in the right brain because the left side of the body is run by the right brain. So they asked him, what's common between all experiences? And he said, they're all right brain creative people. And there's tons of them in Hollywood. And mm -hmm. so that's the thing about the art thing that we find this very distinct connection. But the question I wanted to sort of ask you, and I hope you do more interviews because I, I love to listen to your interviews because you always bring up some new stuff. And I think um, I've learned more from your, your discussions, your interviews than I've learned on a long time, but my last question is you've done the book. So let's go to the last chapter of your book. How do you sum it up? What's this all about? What's going on? I, I got out of that. I, I gave myself <laughs> out. <laughs> oh, perfect. So I, I, I went through the journey of the book and I landed at sort of dedicating myself to the planet, which for me, that's what it's about. My, I can, I can answer that for me, it's about the earth and humanity and claiming our sacred um, place and how important and special we are and how important and special the earth is. But the very last chapter of my book is a bounce into the next journey because I keep having experiences and I don't know where they're going to end up. I mean, I'm being asked very clearly to come back into school and learn how to do some new things so that I can have continued communication. And that's active in my life right now. I'm, I'm going to take some time and travel and be in nature and see if I can get quiet enough and still enough and calm enough to start doing some of this work. Um, so that's how I ended the book with a bounce into the next into the next chapter because I don't I do not have the answers <laughs> I wish great, I, I great does that I call it one of his classic cliffhangers <laughs> <laughs> so you have a cliffhanger to keep us coming back for more and no it's good because we we all learn together on this journey you know that's the other thing we do like to point out is we're not all at the same pace and on the same straight line you know I often feel like we're all on this wobbly concentric circle of doom that just spins. And every once in a while, we all line up to where it's like nice and peace, love and kindness. And mm -hmm. <laughs> we're holding hands, but that's not very often. <laughs> but it was so wonderful talking with you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay. And, I, and um, uh, just to finish it off, uh, I appreciate Robin, you're a wonderful ambassador, and I don't think there really is any end to it. I think it's all about school. It's about the journey, not the end. We're in we're in the Western Union uh, where we want everything yesterday. Just give it to me. Tell me what's going on. That uh, as David Bohm said, and I'll end with this. David Bohm, the famous quantum physicist, said, "When you discover all the rules of quantum physics, 
there's just another level below that. And everybody said, no, there's not. And he said, yeah, there is. And it just gets more complex and more learning. And I really appreciate your sharing coming forward and sharing with the world. Um, a lot of people will learn and you've made the world a better place. So thank you for sharing with us. Thank you both so much. Thank you. It's my pleasure. How wonderful. Have a good night, everybody. Thank okay. you, Grant. Okay. And we'll send um, a copy yeah. to uh, Robin so she can use it for what she wants. Thanks. Definitely. Good night. night. Thank you. That's this week's episode of the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. I'm your host, Grant Cameron, hoping that you will join me for upcoming episodes. Links to my YouTube interviews, books, and my Facebook sites are in the show notes. If you love the podcast or learn something valuable, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, or give a review on today's episode. If you would like a certain paranormal subject dealt with in the future, please let us know. Until next time, watch this space, and thank you so much for listening.